It is, and I think you're right that those year-round opportunities are there, especially for the residents of Montana. Just really appreciating what it takes for Montana's wildlife uh, to thrive on this landscape. Specifically, the statute was adjusted so that any one person could hold up to three elk licenses in uh, any given license year. I heard rumors that there was going to be changes to the wolf bag limits in Montana. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Taryn Hunt. I've got an exciting podcast for you guys today, but before I get to that, um, I want to thank our sponsor, Vortex Optics. Vortex supports us and everything that we do here at eHunter, and we're grateful for them and the relationship that we have with them. Go check them out at vortexoptics.com. On today's podcast, I have Quentin Kujala of the Montana Fish and Wildlife. Quentin is the Wildlife Bureau Coordinator, and we talk a little bit about the hunting regulation changes for 2020 and 2021 in Montana. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. If you do, please give us a, a positive review on iTunes or Podbean or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, leave us those reviews, leave us those comments, and please don't for- forget to subscribe to the podcast. And without further ado, let's jump into the interview with Quentin. Thank you. All right, welcome back to the eHunter newscast. I have a special guest with me from the state of Montana today. I have Quentin, who's the Wildlife Bureau Coordinator there in Montana. Welcome to the call, Quentin. Thank you, Taryn. Happy to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, we appreciate your time. I know that your guys' time is is precious, and you guys have a lot that's going on. You have very busy schedules, um, so really appreciate you taking the time to to hop on this call and and talk a little bit mo- about Montana. Before we do that, though, would you mind um, introducing yourself? Tell everybody a little bit about you and uh, where you're at, what you do, things like that. Yeah, super. Thank you. And again, the Wildlife Bureau Coordinator for Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. The- Montana State Fish, Wildlife, and Outdoor Recreation Agency. Um, been at it for something over 25 years now across a small fistful of positions. Uh, started, I uh, did some graduate work on a project sponsored by the department. Uh, was fortunate enough to be able to get an area management biologist position, again, focused on wildlife. Um, made a transition to a program position in Helena as the wildlife um, game management Bureau Chief, and then made a, uh, another transition to the Bureau Coordinator. So it's been uh, fantastic opportunities, um, and I count myself most lucky to have enjoyed all of them so far. Well, I think most of us as hunters look at uh, Montana as kind of the one of the meccas for hunting um, specific animals. Um, I know myself, I've put in for Montana, um, I listen to many podcasts and talk to a lot of people uh, around the western United States that are putting in for Montana. So it's a it's an amazing state. What a, what a place to to work and, and be a part of the wildlife management up there. Yeah, to be sure that's well. I can I'll quickly say that's well said. I think, Darren, it, it is. It's counted a special uh, place, a great opportunity to live and work here. You know the the landscape. You know through the. Uh, you know, dedicated decisions um, uh, from uh, Montana citizens, um, landowners, members of the public, advocates. You know, I, I think the the richest places of Montana's wildlife history 
are also those places where those different perspectives come together and um, be on the same page, work together as it relates to uh, the fish and wildlife resources of Montana. And, and again, Montana's got that rich history. Hope it continues for a long, long time. And again, it's uh, it's allowed the state to have um, the suite of wildlife species it does, and the you know the long the, the year-round opportunities really, um, depending on how you define the word opportunity um, that are wildlife related. This no, really is a special place. It is, and I think you're right that those year-round opportunities are there, especially for the residents of Montana. And I would love to be a resident of Montana. It's a little bit too cold. For my liking, from the, from what I, I I don't even really know that I haven't even uh, I guess I have been to Montana one time in my life, but I uh, haven't spent too much time there. But from people tell me, it's it's a pretty chilly place to live. <laughs> it, it, it can be on some days, uh, some seasons, obviously, and you know, just recognizing the the focus uh, on wildlife in this conversation, um, a, a way to look at that is you don't get through those days. I, I would suggest at, at some point in in time in the day, um, just really appreciating what it takes for Montana's wildlife yeah. uh, to thrive on this landscape. And they do it well. They do it well. They do. Yeah, like you said, you guys have some of the, the best animals, best species, best quality uh, of those species there in Montana. So, And like I said, it's, it's, some, it's a place that a lot of us hunters really truly have on our bucket list to, to hopefully hunt there someday. I, I would love to hunt elk in Montana. That's definitely on my bucket list should be on most people's bucket list because it's it, it is it's a special place to hunt so well today's conversation what we really want to focus on um, for this podcast is some of the the hunting changes or the changes to the hunting program that have been proposed there in montana on ehunter.com we recently uh, published an article about the possible changes um, we did it back uh, prior to some of the public meetings that they were that you guys were going to have um but I'd like to talk a little bit about those changes today to get the to educate um, both the residents and non-residents of Montana about what those changes are, what they look like, uh, and how they'll be impacted as far as um, hunters coming into the state or as residents of the state. So, so Quinn, if we could start with that, can you talk about some of those some of the major changes with the the new proposed plan? Yeah, you, you bet. And thanks uh, and thanks for the opportunity. It's a great opportunity for outreach here on these details. Undoubtedly, the, let me back up a little bit. In process description, Montana goes through a hunting season review and adoption with its governor-appointed commission every two years. So, um, and that's in, in, in that setting, which is starts with a December commission meeting where proposals from Fish, Wildlife, and Parks are presented to the commission and attending public. And then, uh, you know, there's adoptions by the commission from that day that go forward into a public process, public comment review and process that includes public meetings, online comment um, entry. And, and then we come back to the commission um, and the attending public at a February meeting with uh, another presentation of proposals uh, influenced by that public comment. So in some cases, the proposals are restated, they're confirmed again in, in being proposed. In other cases, the proposal is still there, but it's modified based on public comment. In some cases, a proposal is dropped um, in response to public comment. And in some cases, there are new proposals in response to public comment. Um, those, those then are received by the commission. All of the public comment that we get, we package that up, 
send it to the commission in batches so they can review that as it comes in so they aren't tasked with what sometimes can be a large ta a large task of looking through a lot of comments right before the meeting. We, we deliberately avoid that circumstance, give them time to deliberate and interact with the public. And then from that meeting comes the seasons for you know the next two years. So this was we just came out, and it's the process you alluded to, Taryn. We just came out of a biennial season setting process for most of Montana's game species for the 2020 and the 2021 seasons. And, and that, against that background, um, the biggest issue, and just about every biennial season setting process, there comes to be one or two issues that float to the top in, in their scale of application across the state, their divisiveness across the stakeholders, or maybe their commonality across the stakeholders. Um, in, in this biennial uh, season setting process, uh, I think it's fair to say that the, the topic that generated the most attention was shoulder seasons mm -hmm. for antlerless elk. Yep. Um, shoulder seasons, a lot of times, we get the question a lot, what does shoulder season mean? Um, it's a, whether it's a good moniker or not, it, it's descriptive in nature, and it's meant to communicate the, the, uh, the feature that exists, that they are firearm harvest opportunities for antlerless elk outside of the typically the, what we call the general archery and firearm seasons in Montana. So there has for a long time been a six-week archery season in Montana, starts um, first Saturday in September, and there's a break, there's a pause, there's a week, it's called the dead week, where archery is suspended. We go through that week and then there is there are five weeks of firearm opportunity. Um, so those general seasons, that those five weeks start late October, and they run through the Sunday after Thanksgiving. There's a lot of history and a lot of tradition tied to, to that, not just the length of time, but, but where those six- and five-week chunks sit on the calendar. Some of it's biology of the species being hunted again. Some of it are also values of... of of, of the human piece. So, for example, we get a lot of folks liking or tying the last week of hunting to folks coming home from the service, folks coming home from for Thanksgiving, from college, you know, that sort of stuff comes there as well. That being the general seasons, the shoulder seasons, then our firearm opportunities have before then, so they can start as early as August 15th and run up to archery. In some cases, maybe even go um, parallel with archery, and then they can run as late as February 15th. Um, so Thanksgiving Sunday comes and goes, but uh, harvest opportunity with ripe antlerous elk um, through one mechanism or another uh, can continue to February 15th. Those are shoulders, those early and late shoulders to those general seasons, and that's where we get the term shoulder season. Gotcha. Where, what locations are those available in? Are they all units, some units? Where, where, can those, where are those shoulder seasons available? Those shoulder seasons are, are, you know, there's, they're, they're represented to one degree or another in regions one through six. There are seven administrative regions in Montana. Um, region one is headquartered out of the Kalispell Regional Office. Two is Missoula, so that's western Montana. Three is Bozeman, southwest Montana. Four is Great Falls, north central Montana. Five is Billings, south central Montana. Six is Northeast Montana, headquartered out of Glasgow, 
and then seven is Southeast Montana headquartered out of Miles City. Again, in, in regions one through six, um, shoulder seasons are represented. The, the biggest, uh, the largest abundance of shoulder seasons occur in regions two, four, and five. Okay. So those are the regions headquartered out of Missoula, the Missoula office, the Great Falls office, and the Billings office. Those, those districts are were first selected and for the most part continue to be part of shoulder seasons um, to the degree they have uh, um, these circumstances. And the, the, the reason the shoulder season tool was developed was to address elk populations that are consistently uh, and significantly over management objective. So those are places where we've been struggling to get those populations reduced per an identified management objective. Um, and we have good reason to make that pursuit because, you know, the objectives exist in, in plan. And then statutorily, you know, the legislature has said uh, the department shall, you know, pursue being at objective as it relates to um, wildlife populations, including elk. So a first filter that was applied in answer to the question, where should this pool, tool occur, was a look at those populations and you know where they stand relative to management objectives. There's other circumstances that um, allow a shoulder season, maybe either um, something different than a population assessment or in concert with the population status, and that is, uh, hunting districts where we have, it's just a, the, the district is dominated by a lot of small ownerships. So it's really, really difficult, you know, to, to patch together enough access across those small ownerships. Maybe some of the ownerships are so small that they don't really facilitate hunting very easily. Um, and so, you know, we just recognize that um, that's a place where you just need more overall effort just for that land ownership circumstance. And then another thing that the commission looks for in assessing, you know, where to apply shoulder seasons are those areas where maybe still over objective, but there's a but there's a, a, a diverse working group in place. Uh, that <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, Karen. All, all for want of a better way to put it, all of the stakeholders, all of the perspectives are reasonably represented at the table, um, and they sit down, they come together, uh, you know, respectfully, and they talk about well. What's the what's the next best thing we can do here to manage these elk? So, do you feel like uh, having these shoulder seasons historically has made a, a pretty big impact in those elk numbers, bringing them down to the to where you want them to be at? You know that that's a great question, and in, and in fact, in asking that question, Karen, I'd, I'd suggest that you, you really hit on, I think, the detail within the topic that commanded much of the attention to shoulder seasons this season setting process and that Montana has a history of, uh, you know, late seasons. Um, and there's debate, you know, the, uh, about how effective those were. The department ultimately decided to move away from, uh, late seasons. Um, uh, the, the first iteration of those as uh, saw that, you know, we thought we saw it, we saw evidence that we weren't getting the population objective, in some cases, populations continue to grow. In some cases, there was evidence that um, there was there was a focus on the late season instead of the focus on the general season. Montana's recognized the general season as the primary uh, tool, the primary application of the tool that is hunting 
to manage populations. That's where the culture sits. You know, that's where the history sits. And in many cases, people move on to other things, you know, after that general season moves on. And so that's when hunting is across all of the landscape, um, and, and we think that is the best place to focus the harvest. Now, that's not to say that folks don't appreciate, you know, extended opportunity, and that's not to say that the population's um, their size relative to their objective don't need um, additional opportunity. In some instances, it's just a matter of math, you know, given the inherent harvest rate of elk on different um, landscapes. Um, you know, some, some of these populations are large enough where you just need more days mathematically, you know, combined with that harvest rate to get it done. So um, we we came back to late seasons, um that are called now shoulder seasons in 2015. Um, and we did this to separate, to make them different from the last iteration of, shoulder, of late seasons that uh, we didn't think were working comprehensively well enough to maintain on, on the landscape. And that is we tied the shoulder seasons to performance metrics. Um, and we did that for a couple of reasons. Number one, the, to the point of your question, to help us ask and answer the question, is this tool working relative to what we want it to do? And to be very simplistic, the idea is that, well, if we're here to reduce populations, then at a minimum, we've got to take the calf crop, we've got to take the annual uh, productive, you know, the annual production of the population, we've got to take that, um, and that's just keeping the population static. And then, of course, if we want to reduce it, we've got to take more than that. And we know that there's, you know, it's not quite that simple. There's, there's immigration, there's immigration, there's predation, um, there's disease, there's heavy winters, there's dry summers, and a whole bunch of stuff that influences, you know, survivorship there. But that's the concept is to, to, shoot, to harvest enough elk so that you cap population growth um, and, and then also exceed population you know, productivity such that the population starts to be reduced. So we tied harvest criteria um, to the shoulder seasons. Um, and again, that being a yardstick to say, okay, we're here to reduce the population. We can, from our surveillance efforts, we can understand the demographics of the population. From that, we can estimate the annual growth. From that, we can say how many we need to harvest. And then from our harvest survey process, we can track that harvest and report back to the question, is this getting that job done or not? And in some cases, long-winded answer to your question, Darren, in some cases, um, the shoulder seasons are falling on the landscape, they're in the ground, and those performance metrics um, are being met. Uh, the task is not done. Um, in many of those districts, you know, the populations are still over-objective, but by all appearances, the annual increment of take is enough to eventually arrive at objective. In other cases, um, the districts are not only still over-objective, but they're not meeting those harvest criteria. And those were, within the focus on shoulder seasons, those received a particularly acute focus because it begged the question, well, what do we do here? If that means that this tool isn't working, what's a next thing to do? And the commission and the public and the agency grappled mightily with that question. At the end of the day, in most of the districts that have shoulder seasons, you know, whatever their circumstance is, working or not working relative to harvest criteria. Um, the commission heard, threaded the needle. Um, they clearly worked hard to, you know, reconcile the different 
inputs they were hearing. Um, and those inputs included, yeah, it's not working right now, but give it time. Um, it's, an, it's a valuable tool. It increases the harvest potential. Um, and you might expect we heard that um, a lot from uh, landowner producers that were looking, you know, that were struggling with elk game damage issues, those sorts of things. And also, again, to recognize that some hunters simply like more opportunity to hunt. From other voices, public land hunters, they were saying, gosh, this, this tool falls heavy on the landscape. We're public land hunters, and we think we're seeing impacts to elk, elk distribution at least, if not elk numbers, on public land. We think this is falling not right for those for the elk that aren't causing gain damage issues. And then there were other voices that said, you know, pay attention to the commitment of harvest criteria here, um, where that conversation says if, if if, if it's not working, um, then, you know, to reflect the commitment to getting the task done, you have to be deliberate and sincere in asking and answering the question, what else or what differently? As the commission took all of that comment, um, and, and as I portrayed it, you can imagine some of it, you know, very much competing with other pieces of it, yeah. um, or contrary to it. The commission worked hard, thread a needle to be responsive, to find a place that, um, all of those comments could find themselves in. And what that meant, Darren, is that as you look across the districts that have shoulder seasons this year, in their number, they're very similar um, to what they was there last year. In their details, there are changes. So in some cases, the early part of the shoulder season went away, for example, um, perhaps in response to concerns that the tool was too broad. If you have elk in third cutting alfalfa, um, and you also have archery season going on or approaching, maybe that's a precision-applied game damage hunt with a few hunters, not necessarily looking for population control, but just uh, a, a surgical um, adjustment to that elk distribution. In other cases, the late shoulder season uh, was shortened or removed. Um, as folks said, you know, for their local circumstance, this isn't the best fit. And in other cases, you know, the, the way the harvest authority was communicated to the hunter was adjusted instead of perhaps a general license over the counter um, resulting in, in a large number of hunters on landscapes that might not be able to match that hunter number with access opportunities. Uh, but, you know, there were, there were B licenses put in place, finite B licenses. So there would be a little, uh, st still large numbers of them, but a little more control on the dial uh, that was there to, you know, to better match access opportunities with number of hunters. And, and uh, you know, also in the mix were, you know, folks that were saying, gosh, from the perspective of elk, this seems just not right that we're harvesting elk this, for this much of the year. There's that philosophy in the conversation as well. And we also heard from some landowners, not all. Remember, landowners are hosting not only the wildlife, but the public that hunts the wildlife. And, and from some of those, we heard them say, gosh, by the time I get to February 15th, it's a long season um, of you know knocks on the door and rings on the telephone. And, and I think we can all relate to that if we put ourselves in their shoes. Um, it's not necessarily a disparaging remark against hunters. Just over time, um, that's an additional task for that landowner producer as they look to manage access to the property. So long rambling there, trying to capture the you know, the breadth of public comment, but at the end of the day, 
commission clearly worked hard to reconcile those inputs to find some reasoned ground that responded to all of them. So they kept harvest capacity in place to a considerable degree, early, late, and general seasons. Um, but they also trimmed some of those edges in response to the concerns that some expressed that shoulder seasons were too much, too heavy, too far, too wide, too long. Um, and we'll see how that goes. And, and they did that, again, for the most part, the places where shoulder seasons were last year still have shoulder seasons, albeit perhaps by a different definition for different dates with a different licensing mechanism. Really long-winded answer, Terry. Hopefully I got to the answer. No, you absolutely did, and I really appreciate that because uh, you and I kind of talked about this before we hit record, is having these different perspectives, and, and I, one of the questions I had written down here that I wanted to ask you about was about these public uh, meetings that you had, getting the public input, and and the different perspectives that everybody had on these on these different changes. You know, uh, the majority of my listeners are probably going to be hunters, and so we have one perspective in that we want opportunity as much as possible. And, and that's one thing I do want to take this opportunity to, to thank you and, and thank Montana's public and whoever else had the impact on um, utilizing hunting as an opportunity to control numbers. Because there's a lot of different different ways to control numbers of, of elk, um, really, really any species, but to control the numbers of elk. Um, and a lot of times as hunters, we see that different tactics are being used to control these numbers. Um, and so when that opportunity is given to us as hunters to to have a part in that and, and given us more of an opportunity to meet uh, an objective that you guys want, that, well, what that the, the landscape needs, to be honest, that, to help that uh, objective be met, um, I think we as hunters truly appreciate that. Um, and so, no, I, I appreciate that, Quentin. I appreciate you, you going into some of those details because that answered a lot of these questions. I, you know, I wanted to know the purpose behind uh, these shoulder uh, seasons. Um, that was obviously my, one of my top changes that I wanted to talk about. Um, it's the one that I've gotten several questions sent to me personally um, via social media or email or whatever, just asking about what those seasons look like, where they're going to be at, and, and the purpose behind it. So, so I appreciate your your response to that. Another change that um, I've gotten a lot of feedback and I'd like to ask your your opinion on is the this third elk license change. What what is this third elk license and is it as big a change as what I'm what I'm hearing? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question and, and it speaks to the same elk population management circumstance. Um, that is there are these objectives um, and, and in the elk management plan, these numerical objectives, and in these areas, they are—they have been, they are, and they have consistently been over and significantly objective. And what to do about that task? Recognizing that, um, so, so not just for the plan, not just for the statutory direction to manage um, to be an objective, but of course, there's reasons behind those enumerations of those those directions and requirements. And those those reasons include, you know. Uh, minimizing damage to private lands, matching um, elk presence on private lands with landowner tolerance, you know, given their use of their private lands, um, you know, fitting those circumstances to access opportunities, to harvest opportunities, um, more so recent, just recently than perhaps what we've thought about historically long time is the, the concern of disease. You know, there's 
There's a in Montana. There are you know Southwest Montana and the near the Greater Yellowstone area. Um, there is the presence of brucellosis in elk. That's not a large concern for elk um, uh, for the hunter, or uh, they, that doesn't represent big population impacts or potential impacts elk populations. But it's an enormous concern uh, for the livestock industry. And so, as partners, whether whether that's the agency with the landowning community or the hunters with the landowning community, uh, and it should be both and, and all the connections between those three parties. Um, if it's concerned for one partner, reasonably it should be concerned for the other. Uh, and then uh, CWD has come yes. onto Montana's landscape um, in the last couple of years. And, and if you want to, you know, if, you, if you're inclined to have that perspective, there are other diseases that other states um, have or are experiencing that, you know, if you're in that frame of mind, you might scratch your head and wonder, I wonder if it's a matter of when or a matter of if as it relates to Montana. That's another reason to think about managing elk to, you know, to prescribe densities in abundance um, because um, whatever the disease, a common element uh, in conversations about managing that disease is, is density. Um, and as numbers of elk increase, that also means their density increases on finite pieces of, of the landscape that enhance the potential for individual-to-individual transmission. In the case of brucellosis, um, it, it's easier to say it just in the context of that, that there are more elk, there are more potential vectors from brucellosis to cattle. So, so there's, so there's, it's those reasons, those plan objectives, and that statutory language that says manage to those objectives have, you know, reasons behind them, um, and they're good reasons. Uh, and so, again, I just wanted to hit on that again because it comes to the third elk license, like it comes to shoulder seed. And the third elk license is a it come, came out of the legislature, um, specifically 2019 session. Specifically, statute was adjusted so that any one person could hold up to three elk licenses in uh, any given license year. And that's just the elk license is identified in statute. It's defined in statute. That's where you know the price of the license is also captured. And in this case, they also clarified how many of them you can hold. And for a long time, um, you know, uh, Montana hunter, hunters in Montana have had the ability to harvest more than one, more than two, more than three deer. Um, mm-hmm. In some cases, you know, up, upwards of seven um, when things are really going well as it relates to deer productivity across the state. Um, and there are opportunities when things are going well to harvest up to three antelope. So those, those opportunities have been there for a while. It's a new addition to elk, and, and what the conversation reveals, and I think what the utility, what is a question as it relates to the utility of the tool in the context of harvest management, now, there are some differences between those species. You know, in, at a core scale, you know, the, the ability to harvest three antelope and to retrieve three antelope and to process three antelope um, and to, you know, consume three antelope that, that has a relative finiteness to it. That can be accomplished. Um, when you cross that antelope and put in elk, you know, the task becomes larger. The, the, the task is getting in the inherent harvest rate. The, the task of harvesting three elk is a harder task across the spectrum of hunters. Yeah. Retrieving elk is a harder task across the spectrum of hunters. Processing elk is a harder task across three hunters. Um, consuming three elk 
um, is a harder task across the spectrum of hunters. Can it be done? Yes, for sure. That's not a question. Um, either through, you know, um, but can it be done to the degree that it's a, a, a significant? It, it generates a it, re, it creates a significant numerical response in the population size, a significant numerical enhancement of the harvest. That's the question. How many people, um, either because they can or can't, or they would or wouldn't take advantage of that opportunity, just given what elk are. Um, that's that. So it remains a question. Just how you know the. I think that the, the one of the one of the biggest questions is, well, gosh, just how many times will three elk for a hunter happen? Um, and uh, I think that's the primary. That's the question most often asked. But that being said, uh, to give to give it its trial period, it remains to be seen just how much the new additional opportunity to hold three elk license will impact harvest and resulting population size. Um, may be seen, and and then you know for those folks that are willing to harvest three elk, um, maybe they send one or two of them into the food donation line into the local food bank. That now has even gotten a little more complicated with you know the the presence of CWD too. So so that just is another question in the mix. Um, you know that it remains to be seen just exactly how it will play out. Um, but we'll see how it happens in Montana. If that's the statutory. Um, authorization and some of the context behind some of the conversations on that topic. How it happens is Montana has a general elk license. That's the elk license if you're a resident, you buy over the counter. That's the one that's always been there. Um, and that's the one that comes to a non-resident when they put in for a big game combination packet. And in that one, that's the one that has a lot of opportunity scattered across the state as wherever there is general license opportunity during the hunting season. In some districts, that's for an antlerous elk. In some districts, it's for a brow-time bull elk. In some districts, it's for both. Um, and then in some relatively few districts, it needs to be married with a with a finite, randomly drawn permit to be valid for a bull. So there's that license. That's one of the possibilities. One of the licenses that you can put in your pocket. There are B licenses that have been around for quite a while. Those are um, an additional license. Almost always, they're for antlerous animals. Um, and and then this third license option uh, made it possible to hold combinations of those. So, for example, two B licenses, or maybe don't buy the general license, buy three B licenses. Wow. The commission specifically identified that third license options, um, you know, include uh, those licenses that are available for surplus sale. Those are the licenses that are still available after the drawings. So those are licenses where demand um, was not as great as application. I'm sorry, demand was less than supply. Number of applicants was less than the number of uh, licenses available. And then the commission also specifically spoke to B licenses valid during the shoulder seasons, the late shoulder seasons, to say certainly one of those um, is eligible for a third license opportunity. It, it's interesting. There's another facet to the third license conversation, um, just trying to be comprehensive in the answer here, Taryn, is that um, more and more as the task of shooting enough, of harvesting enough elk to meet objectives um, has commanded a, a bigger part of the commission's deliberation on elk seasons. You know, we hear, um, and maybe I would add as, you know, the the, the reality of, of a growing divide between 
you know, urban and rural communities, which is just a progression of, of who we are, right? Um, fewer and fewer people in agriculture, um, more and more people um, in the urban environments. And, and so does that, to the degree that represents a growing uh, unfamiliarity uh, and a growing uh, and a reduction in trust, um, you hear from some landowners that, gosh, I, I know this person, they're going to conduct themselves well on my property. And I also know them to be really, really effective elk hunters. So sometimes the conversation about three elk often starts with the potential for that tool to influence population management. But a lot of times the, the discussion turns into, you know, landowners articulating, you know, that, that their search for a respectful and effective hunter. Um, we, we have a lot of interest um, to your earlier comments about the hunting public appreciating, you know, the opportunity to be involved in management and Montana, you know, relying on and pointing to hunting as a primary tool uh, for population control. Lots of interest and hunters, to their credit, wherever there's a license sale, you know, they show up. But we do hear the landowners say um, there's differences amongst hunters. And so that's where they see, that that's one of the values when you listen to the comments that they see in a third license conversation. Man. You can imagine that other other perspectives will challenge that. We'll say, well, gosh, that's you <laughs> put that on the long road, and that means over time that does that mean fewer and fewer people um, get to be involved in elk harvest? It's a fair question. Yeah. Like I say, I, I uh, um, time will tell. Time will tell how that evolution progresses. Uh, just the opportunity to have three hunting or three elk tags. <laughs> Uh, a year. I don't know what I would honestly do with that. I usually harvest an elk and a deer every year, one of each, and that usually feeds my family pretty well throughout the year. Um, as you made those comments of up to seven deer in a year, up to three elk in a year, that's just that that's amazing. But there are those opportunities to, like you said, to donate some of that meat, which I that is kind of becoming a hard process nowadays, especially with CWD and and actually. Uh, kind of segue into CWD and, and other diseases, that may be a conversation that you and I might have to have on another podcast. Um, I know that's been a pretty hot topic, but it, I, I think one thing that I that people need to um, take away from this is that a lot of these things, a lot of these changes that have been made in Montana are really to uh, control some of that, that those diseases that are, are become prevalent on the landscape. And so... Um, I appreciate that, Quentin. I, I do. I appreciate the insight on that third elk license, um, just having that opportunity. And uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting to see how it turns out for the um, really, truly the residents of Montana. I think they'll be able to be the ones taking the most advantage of that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I told you before we hit record. I'm I'm kind of a geek when it comes to this stuff, uh, and so I'll be uh, I might have to follow up with you and find out how that is going here in another year or two, just yeah. to see if it makes a a big impact in, in all those areas. Um, any yeah. other any other major changes uh, as far as big game goes? I know there's uh, some date changes. Um, I think there were some boundary changes, things like that. But are, were there any other major changes that came from uh, this new plan? Yeah, you know the way you asked the question, Karen. I, I have to say no. I mean, those you, you hit a couple examples: date changes, boundary changes. You know, certainly we have rotation of the calendar. So obviously, Thanksgiving falls on a, you know the fourth Thursday in November. So 
you know, that's a floating date um, as one year goes to another. So we have those kind of changes. We have a few boundary changes here and there. You know, we went from 500 um, um, B licenses here to 600. You know, those kind of what we might call very routine and typically um, changes that generate far less controversy and debate. Um, and, and those were scattered across the state. But again, to the yeah. point of your question, as I heard it, you know, homing in on some of the bigger topics that people were engaging and listening and waiting for, those, those were um, certainly two of the bigger ones. Yeah, those are, discussion. those are definitely ones that, that I had the feedback on were, were those ones for big game. I do want to ask you one more before I let you go. Um, it doesn't have to do with or it doesn't pertain to big game, and I'm going to be completely transparent here. I haven't been able to do a lot of research on, on this one, um, but I heard rumors that there was going to be changes to the wolf bag limits in Montana. Is that a true statement, and what are those changes? So the um, Montana a little bit of context, Montana's wolf season um, has, across most of the state, um, that's available on what we would call a general license, um, a license that um, you can walk up to the counter and buy. And across most of the state, you can buy five of those um, and harvest, either, you know, buy, you can buy five hunting licenses or harvest five wolves through uh, a trapping, uh, through trapping opportunity you know, authorized by a trapping license. There are a couple places in Montana next to the national parks that are Yellowstone and Glacier, where on top of that there's an additional uh, restriction of area quotas. And two of those are, again, north of Yellowstone Park, one west of Glacier. Um, as we went into the season proposal, what came out of the December commission meeting, that's a better way to say it, what came out of the December commission meeting was status quo for Montana's wolf season, um, but then adjust the quotas in the two wolf areas immediately north of the park down to one wolf in each quota area. So that, that means one wolf total could be harvested. Anybody with a wolf license could enter that district, but once the one wolf was taken, the district was closed for hunting. You'd have to take the wolf license somewhere else. That's the proposal that went out to the public comment review process piece um, in response to the public comment received, the department um, in February came back with a proposal to the commission intending public to um, expand the hunting season dates and expand the trapping dates, the trapping season dates, and increase the bag limit to five for wolves in Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Administrative Region 1. That's the region headquartered out of, Cal- out of Kalispell. It's the region that has the highest density of wolves and, uh, you know, for some very, very uh, focused comment from members of the public um, and then reviewing that, the department felt there was uh, opportunity to provide that additional opportunity um, and, and still maintain a viable wolf population. So that was the adjusted proposal that came to the commission in February. The commission, at the end of its deliberations, hearing public comment um, on that proposal that day from the podium, uh, ultimately, the final adoption, and this now will be, you know, um, the next the, the 2020 wolf season, to keep the status quo in place. So they did not move on the expanded hunting season dates. They did not adopt expanded trapping season dates. They did not change the bag limit to 10. They kept it at five. And then they, there's also a department proposal to increase those court areas to two wolves in each area. They reduced it back to one. So the at the end of all of that, 
the wolf season did not change from 2019, except that those two quote areas north of the Yellowstone Park went from two wolves per quote area to one wolf per quote area. Okay. Okay, and I know that's going to be a wolves are a hot topic really everywhere. Um, I, here in Colorado, I, that's pretty much what our conversations are about, and so I know that that's one yeah. of the changes that people were. I'll be honest, kind of hoping for an increase in that, uh, just to uh, again, we, as hunters, we have our perspective, and so to to lower those numbers and their impact, but um, definitely understand uh, the process. That, that Montana goes through um, to to keep it where it's at, and, and the reason it's it is where it's going to stay at. So, well, yeah, it, 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 yes, yeah, all of that. Yep, that, that's a conversation. Happy to visit with that, but I I fear that I have already put too much detail into the discussion. What you're looking for, only trying to be comprehensive, not long winded. No, here perhaps I was, I was both. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that is a that is a conversation in and of itself. If someday you want to have it. You know, that's something that we probably ought to do, Quentin, at some point is hop on a call and, and spend the time specifically talking about that and the impacts that, that they've had there in Montana, um, the management plans, things that have taken place, because it is, it's a hot topic that um, a lot of people have questions about, a lot of people are honestly, they're honestly scared of, and so that may be worth, and I don't know, I shouldn't say maybe, that would be worth the time for us to take that opportunity and and do that Um on a separate podcast. Understood. Agreed. Certainly it's a topic. You bet. And, and don't feel bad about the long windedness. I, I think, uh, again, I don't think I, I know a lot of our listeners, they enjoy having the detail and the facts behind a lot of this stuff. A lot of us as hunters, we see stuff on social media. We see, we hear stuff in conversation. Um, it's nice to get the, the facts behind some of these things and know what truly not only has been proposed, but has been put in place. And when we walk into the field as a hunter, we have that knowledge base that, yep, this is this is what I can go and this is what I can do. And so so I appreciate it, Quentin. I, I truly do. I appreciate your time today, um, I, the conversations that we had. This is exactly what I was hoping that it would be. Um, this, is, this is exactly what I think the people that had reached out to me about with these questions were looking for as well. So, so I appreciate your time. Before we go, are there... Outside of big game wolves, was there any other changes that we needed to address at all? No. Again, I think uh, outside of those topics, you know, it was a, and I don't mean to minimize, you know, for those folks that were really tracking their, you know, the, the changes that they can really relate to in the areas they've always hunted. I don't mean to minimize it, but outside of those, the, the season stand process was for the most part a routine one. Um, nothing really out of the ordinary, as you know, you, you you look to respond in a management context to the ups and downs of the populations to the degree we can detect those changes out on the landscape. So, cool. and, and on, you know, that being said, I also reciprocate. I appreciate the opportunity for us. It's a it's a it's a great outreach opportunity. Again, I appreciate your tolerance to hear uh, undoubtedly what was a rambling walk through the details, um, but uh, ho- hopefully it's well received. And again, uh, happy for the opportunity. Appreciate the opportunity and. Uh, don't hesitate to let us know if there's another topic we can we can visit with you on. Absolutely, we will do. I'll definitely be respectful of your time and uh, this phone number that I have, but I'll probably be reaching out and asking um, other questions in the near future. I appreciate your time, and uh, hopefully we stay in contact and uh, can keep people informed. So once again, Quentin, thank you so much for, for your time. I really appreciate you, and I'll let you back to your evening. You bet. Thank you, Terry, and you have a good evening as well. Take care. You too. See ya. Thanks again, guys, for listening to the podcast, and also thanks 
to Vortex Optics and to Onyx Maps for sponsoring our podcast. Don't forget, guys, hit that like button and hit the subscribe button so that you get notified when we publish new content. And we'll see you on the next episode.